You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good evening. It's great joy to be with you. I love that song we sang tonight. It sounded like the needle was stuck there at first. So, 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 so good. You know which one I'm talking about? I love that song. That's great. If the minstrels are listening, if we can hear that song one more time tonight before I go home, I would really enjoy that. He has been so, 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 so good to us, hasn't he? Great. You know, I almost feel like I'm home here. And because of that, I want to take just a special liberty tonight, if I can. Uh, I would like to uh, ask for prayer requests. I have a prayer request. I'd like to get you to pray for this coming week, if you think about it. Uh, 31 years ago, uh, my wife and I got married. She had come to Atlanta uh, to go to nursing school. She's a RN by trade. And it was her goal, her dream in life, to be a medical missionary. Well, she came to Atlanta. I picked her out of the choir. I said, that's the one I want right there. And over a, it took me a while. It wasn't an immediate connection. It took a while. But I finally uh, won the day and got her to the altar and and, you know, she kind of justified it in her mind. Well, you know, I'm marrying a pastor. That's kind of a mission field. That's being a missionary. And so I'll just be a pastor's wife. And, and so for the last 30 years, she's raised four kids, and she's been a tremendous pastor's wife. And then last year, last fall, uh, the church came on the uh, 30th anniversary of our, of our uh, ministry. Uh, the church came and said, we'd like to give you a special offering, a love offering. But we'd like to know what you're going to spend it on so we can then turn around and tell the congregation we've done this nice thing for Pastor Sandy. And so uh, we prayed about it. And Kathy came to me one day and she said, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to take some of that money and I would like to go on the mission trip that I've been putting off for the last 30 years. <laughs> and so today she left for Belize on a medical mission trip. And she's going to be gone all week working with the uh, folks down there. And so if you think about her this week, if you would just lift up a prayer to her for her, I would certainly appreciate it. Well, let's get our Bibles out and let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter three. We are going to talk about how good God has been to us. Romans chapter three. Oh, and if you need a Bible, if you'll raise your hand, we've got a stack of them and a, a willing, ready usher back there, ready to pass them out. Anybody need a Bible? There's a lady right back up in the corner, right, right, right there, right there. Great. There's a guy right here. Right here. He, he, he puts his hand up and then he puts it down every time you look at him. There it is. It's good. He's sneaky. 
Anybody else? Romans chapter 3, we begin in verse 19, but before we do, let's pray. Great God in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. I do pray for my wife this week that you'll bless her trip, that you'll help her to minister the love of Jesus to many, many people. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the men of the church that have given of their time this past weekend to tune their hearts to you. Lord, to come together with other men and to seek your face. I pray they've been blessed. I pray that the things they've learned will go with them for months and years to come. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would once again speak to us. Lord, we are going to spend all eternity learning of your great kindness to us. We can't learn enough now. And so I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts to understand the fullness and the depth and the richness of your amazing grace towards your people. Lord, we thank you for the treasures of your word. We ask tonight that you would help us, that you would bless us by your spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 begins, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all Who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When you purchase a diamond, the jeweler will display the stones on a piece of black velvet. He knows that a dark backdrop will brighten the appearance of the diamonds. Well, in Romans chapter 3, Paul displays the diamonds of salvation. He puts on exhibit some magnificent stones. The glory and the grace of God shine and twinkle for all to see. God invites the world into the gallery to gawk and to gaze and to show its gratitude for the brilliant salvation that he offers. But Paul is a shrewd jeweler. And so he presents these diamonds against the black velvet of man's sin. The first three chapters of Romans describe the total depravity of the human race. Read these chapters in one sitting and you'll get depressed. The picture is ugly. The outlook is grim. In fact, by the time you reach the middle or so of Romans chapter 3, mankind is down for the count. We're all lost and condemned and damned to hell. 
Look at chapter 3 with me. Verse 10 slams the lid on the coffin. There is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11 drives the nails into our coffin. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Verse 12 lures the coffin into the ground. There is none who does good, no, not one. Verse 23 shovels the dirt on top of the vault. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There you have it. The death and burial of the entire human race. Paul Moses down with the machine gun of repetition. There is none. There is none. There is none. There is none. Paul uses the none gun to shoot down our pride and our self-righteousness. The truth of our sin cuts our legs out from under us. It's impossible to think that we can ever stand on our own. By the middle of chapter 3, the velvet is about as dark as it can get. But remember, that's Paul's intent. For the darker the backdrop, the brighter these diamonds. Picture Paul the jeweler. He spreads out his ebony cloth and he sprinkles out four sparkling, brilliant stones. On our own, the situation is hopeless. We could never afford these expensive gems on our own. But God has devised a means of obtainment that doesn't depend on you or I. It's been worked up by His wisdom. It was worked out on the cross. It's a response to God's grace. It was accomplished and paid for by Jesus on Calvary's cross. Tonight, I want us to marvel at the diamonds of salvation. Paul displays four beautiful gems, justification, redemption, propitiation, vindication. And the mere sound of those words should produce goosebumps. They should make us all giddy. They should thrill us. They should be music to our ears. But what if we don't understand them at all? Those are some pretty big words, Paul. What's a justification and a redemption and a propitiation and a vindication? Reminds me of the pastor's little boy. Having been raised in church, he had always heard terms like justification and propitiation and so forth. But he had never really learned the meaning of any of these terms. One day at school, the teacher asked the class, What's the definition, boys and girls, of the word procrastination? The pastor's son's hand shot straight up in the air and he said, I know, I know. She said, well, what's the meaning of procrastination? He says, well, I'm really not sure, but I do know my church believes in it. (laughs) Well, tonight I want us to discuss these four big words. And once we've grasped them, they will be our best friend. You've heard the statement, diamonds are a girl's best friend? Well, that's true of Jesus' girl, his bride, the church. Hey, these diamonds will win our heart. Well, the first diamond of salvation is justification. In verse 24, Paul says, We're being justified freely 
by his grace. Biblically speaking, to justify a person is to treat them as if they have always been just or righteous or sinless. It's to be viewed by God just as if I had never, ever sinned. And this is how God treats you if you've put your faith in Jesus. Once there was a rich English gentleman, he purchased a new Rolls Royce. He had it shipped over to France where he planned a journey across Europe. And yet a few days into his trip, his new car broke down. Well, the man called the dealership back in England to see if they could provide him some assistance. Immediately, a crew of mechanics were dispatched. They were flown across the English Channel. They worked nonstop until all of the repairs were complete. When the man arrived back home in England, he expected a hefty bill for this extraordinary service that the Rolls-Royce mechanics had provided him. But a bill never came. In fact, after a few weeks, he called and he inquired about the cost. He was surprised when the clerk on the phone at the dealership replied, What bill? He told her, he said, Why the bill for the repairs you made on my car in France? She said, What repairs? He said, well, surely you remember the team of mechanics that you flew over the English Channel to France to work on my car. Please check your records. After a long pause, the woman came back and she said, sir, I'm sorry, but we have no record of any Rolls Royce ever breaking down and needing repairs. (laughs) Now, that's the way every car dealership ought to operate. Understand, justification doesn't mean that God ignores our breakdowns. No, He fixes us. But He keeps no record of our malfunction. He considers it as having never happened. Imagine God services us and He tunes us up and He fixes our flats and He repairs the damage caused by our sin. And then He never charges us a dime. Now that's a pretty good warranty. You see, justification includes forgiveness, but, oh, it is far, far more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is me paying off your credit card debt, but you can run it up again, can't you? Justification goes further. It's me paying off your debt, then supplying you a line of credit so that you'll always maintain a positive balance. Jesus guarantees his followers will never be caught with insufficient funds. We have been justified. And notice too, verse 24 doesn't say we've been justified, but we are being justified. It's in a continuous tense. God is constantly treating you as if you'd never sinned, even when you do. How he handles you remains the same. Of course it grieves the heart of God when we sin. And he certainly works by his spirit to mature us, to keep it from happening again. But God never alters how he chooses to treat us. God never tells one of his kids, okay, sister, that's it. I've had enough with you. You just hit the road and don't come back until you straightened out your mess. God never says that. God never says to a believer, oh, you can forget about my blessing until you measure up. That's not the heart of God. We've been justified. Justification is God's decision to favor me in spite of my sin, but because of Jesus. 
We all need to settle this issue once and for all in our minds and hearts. For as long as we trust Jesus, God is committed to treating us as justified. And do you realize what this means? You never again should feel timid or fearful about approaching God. Even when you're not doing so well, He still wants you to call on Him. He's as ready to bless you when you're struggling as He is when you're soaring. Justification means that the terms of God's treatment never, ever changes. I read of a Bible college professor who was a godly man. When he walked into the classroom, he oozed with God's grace. He just radiated God's glory. His students wanted to to uncover the secret of this man's holy and heavenly life. They figured it had to be his prayer life. And so one night they hid out in the bushes outside of his window to listen to him pray before he went to bed. They anticipated this fervent, passionate, pleading prayer. They were shocked when the old fella came in. He jumped into bed. He pulled up the covers and then he sighed, God, I thank you that we're on the same old terms. But that's what it means to be justified. That no matter what happens, that no matter how well I perform in Christ, I am always on the same old terms with God. Now let's get back to our earlier picture. Diamond dealing Paul, he spreads out the ebony cloth on the countertop. He opens up the pouch and he sprinkles out these sparkling, brilliant diamonds. The girl by your side, she squeals. She she erupts in delight. She's about to squeeze the blood out of your arm. When all of a sudden you look down and you notice the price tags. And beads of perspiration begin to appear on your forehead. You are scared. Oh, no. That wad of money in your back pocket that seemed so big a few minutes ago has suddenly shrunk. But now imagine the salesman. He scoops back the diamonds. He puts them back to the, in the pouch. And then he reaches across the counter and he hands you those diamonds. And he says, here, please take them. They're yours. These diamonds are my gift to you. Just enjoy them and be thankful for them and tell a few other people about them. We'll be even. You'd faint on the spot, wouldn't you? That is exactly what God has done. Verse 24 says that we've been justified freely. This word translated freely means without a cause. There is nothing in us or about us, nothing we've done or are or ever hope to do that can warrant this kind of treatment. Romans 3 tells us that the price was paid by His blood. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. His sacrifice enabled God's love to treat us as justified. Now it comes to me as grace, as unmerited favor. It's love that's on the house. No human virtue can merit this kind of treatment from God. The only explanation for why God deals with me so kindly is that He loves me. And He loves you too. Once a little boy, he visited the Washington Monument. He walked up to the soldier on duty. He pulled out a quarter and he asked if he could buy the monument. 
Well, the soldier chuckled. He said, not for a quarter. But the little wheeler dealer, he wasn't through yet. He said, I thought you'd say that. And then he reached in his pocket and he added a dime. Well, after the soldier finished laughing, he explained. He said, Sonny, there's three things that you need to know. First, you can't buy the Washington Monument. Not for 35 cents, not for $35 million. It's too expensive. Second, this monument is not for sale. And third, if you're an American citizen, you don't have to buy this monument because it already belongs to you. You know, many believers, they long to feel forgiven. They long to be confident in their relationship with God. They want to believe that God is as good as I have just just described Him. But our confidence wanes in light of our own weakness. We're burdened down by our own sin and our own guilt and our own failure. And when we are, we tend to draw back from God. We assume that we have to earn our way back into His favor. We start to think, boy, after what I've done... I need to buy the monument. But justification, like the Washington Monument, is not for sale. It's way too expensive. It requires what you don't have, sinless blood. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, it already belongs to you. We're justified not because of us, but in spite of us. Try to achieve a level of performance so you'll feel deserving. And you've missed the point. We're justified by God's grace and by what Jesus has done. Well, the second diamond of salvation is redemption. In verse 24, Paul adds that we've been justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there are actually several different Greek words that get translated into the English language by this single word, redemption. One is the word Agorazo. It's from the word agora, which referred to the city center. The agora was the marketplace, and it was the location where the slaves were auctioned and sold. Thus, the word agorazo refers to the purchase of a slave. And if you're a Christian, this applies to you, for you are now the purchased possession of Jesus. He holds the title deed to your life. Through the blood of His only Son, God has purchased you out of sin, out of sin's slavery. You no longer are on your own. Now you belong to Jesus. You are His child. But this word agorazo is not the word that's used here. There's another Greek word that's translated redemption. It's the word ex-agorazo. It too refers to the purchase of a slave. But ex-agorazo speaks of permanence. You see, many Roman landowners, they would buy slaves to help out in the fields, but then they would sell them back after the harvest time. A slave purchased ex-agorazo. In contrast, he was never returned. He became a permanent slave. He became his master's permanent possession. And this is also how Jesus sees you. You see, his plan is not to just use you up and then trade you in. Oh, no. He loves you. He's with you for the long haul. He wants you forever. You are his permanently. Ex agarazo. (laughs) But neither is this the word used for redemption here in this text. 
No, the word translated redemption here in verse 24 is the word laturo. It refers to the practice of purchasing a slave for the purpose of setting him free. And this is also what Jesus has done for you. He bought you out of spiritual slavery to set you free from the pain and the guilt and the sin. All that's been holding you back. All that's been keeping you down. He wants to deliver you. Jesus purchases you to restore you to all God meant for you to be. Two factory workers labored side by side for many years. One was a hard worker. The other was a classic underachiever. He was always late, usually lazy, always on the verge of getting fired. But one day, his co-worker noticed a remarkable change. Overnight, this slothful man began to care about his job. In fact, he turned into a productive employee and a pleasure to work with. His entire attitude was transformed. The co-worker one day asked him why. And he heard an amazing story. You see, while in college, this fellow had been involved in a fraternity hazing. One night, they had taken a few freshmen to a long, dark, graveled road for a so-called test of nerve. They put the freshmen out in the middle of the road, and they drove in their cars straight at them. The kids were supposed to wait as long as possible before leaping to safety. Tragically, one of the young men froze. The factory worker was driving the car when it hit the boy going 70 miles per hour. The man's foolish action haunted him the rest of his life. He avoided prosecution, but shortly thereafter dropped out of school. He became an alcoholic to drown his sorrows. That one incident just sucked the life right out of this man. He lost all motivation. He could never forget the look of terror on that boy's face just before the car he was driving ran over him. Until one day, he received a visitor. It was the mother of the young man that he had killed. She said that she had hated him for years and that she had plotted her revenge. But recently, she had given her life to Jesus. And now she wanted to forgive the man who had killed her son. The man turned to his friend that day, and he said about the mother's visit, he said, I looked deep into her eyes that morning, and I received permission to be the kind of man I might have been had I never killed that boy. Her forgiveness changed my life. You see, her pardon bought him his freedom. And that's the meaning of this word redemption. If you too will look closely at the cross of Jesus tonight, you also will find permission to start again. Jesus wants you to be the person you might have been. This is why He's purchased you, in order to set you free. Whatever you've done, whatever has haunted you for years, listen to the words of God to you tonight. You are forgiven. Sweetest word in the English language. You're forgiven. You have God's permission to start over. I told you these diamonds of salvation were some beautiful, dazzling stones. And the third diamond is equally spectacular. 
It's the jewel of propitiation. Verse 25 refers to Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Notice in times past, when judgment was due, God restrained his hand. He passed over. There were countless occasions when God would have been just and fair in exterminating the whole human race because of their sin and their treachery. But he passed on the opportunity. Acts 17 verse 30 tells us that in times past, God winked at sin. He closed his eyes to the evil. And it wasn't that sin didn't bother him. No, it bothered him greatly. You know, I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the point where it's hard for me to even watch the nightly news. It just riles me. It upsets me. Here's a sample from a single day, a single recent day of news, the news cycle. Here's a a sample. A 12-year-old boy was used as a heroin mule. He was made to swallow 87 condoms filled with heroin so that drug dealers could make a few bucks. A suicide bomber killed six people and injured 86 others. A teenager sexually assaulted and killed his 22-month-old niece. I'm just going to stop right there. But the list could go on and on. I mean, it is tough to stomach this kind of stuff on a regular basis. It makes you mad. But if it angers me, how do you think God feels? I'm only exposed to this evil for a mere 22 minutes on the nightly news while God sees every grimy act done in every slimy place all across the planet. Trust me, God gets extremely angry. It arouses his wrath. I read of an awful ordeal of a man in Tyler, Texas. His name is Robert Hardy. Hardy woke up one night and he went to check on his three-month-old son. When he walked into the little boy's room, he found that the bassinet was tipped over. He quickly returned to the bedroom to see if his wife had the baby. She didn't. They both ran downstairs in search of the child. When Hardy went into his study, he noticed that the glass top on the tank where he kept his pet python had been pushed off. And here's what had happened. This 12-foot snake had escaped the tank, had slithered upstairs, had tipped over the bassinet, and had eaten the baby. Hardy was so enraged, he was so furious, he ran outside, he found an axe, and he chopped that snake into a thousand pieces. And who would blame him? The snake got exactly what it deserved. But in the same way, God is so infuriated when he looks down on the snake-like actions of humankind, predators slithering along, consuming innocent people. God is outraged at the rapists and the child molesters and the terrorists. And then he sees the Lady Gagas of the world sing about their love for Judas and mock the very son that God sacrificed to save us from our sin. 
God's holy sensibilities are continually being trampled on and violated. And not only by the snake-like actions of others, but I've got to confess to you tonight, I've slithered with the best of them from time to time. In fact, we've all been guilty of satisfying ourselves at the expense of someone else, haven't we? I'm sure that God has been tempted many times over to pick up an axe and to chop up the snakes. But he waited. He waited for a day 2,000 years ago. The day he nailed his only son Jesus to a Roman cross. There, God vented his anger toward the sin of the world. There, God brought down his axe on his only son, Jesus. You see, the reason that God had winked at sin in times past, the reason he had suppressed his righteous rage, is that he had planned all along to take out his wrath on his only son. Sandy Adams deserves to be hacked up. Yet God unleashed his anger towards me on his only begotten son, That is love that moistens your eyes. That's love that boggles your brain. That's love that drops you to your knees. How could God love us that much? And yet He does. Which brings us to the definition of this long word, propitiation. It means to appease or to placate, to satisfy. You see, the justice of God is satisfied legally through justification. But it is satisfied emotionally through propitiation. God got closure on the cross of Jesus Christ. There were two very similar sacrifices in the Old Testament. The sin offering covered a person's sin while the burnt offering presented a sweet aroma to God. You see, the sin offering justified man, while the burnt offering satisfied God, and both needed to be done. Today, though, the cross of Christ does both. It justifies us, and it satisfies God's justice. God both vented His anger and outrage towards sin, and proved His justice. At the cross of Jesus Christ. When we trace this Greek word propitiation to its Hebrew origin, we discover that it's the same word translated in the Old Testament as mercy seat. You remember in Jerusalem's temple, God's glory rested over an oblong shaped box called the Ark of the Covenant. You remember, it was that box that Indiana Jones stole from the Nazis. You remember. In this ark were stone tablets that God gave to Moses. You see, God intended to meet with man over the ark. The basis for man's relationship with God was to be his obedience to the law written on those tablets. But this didn't bode well for sinners like us. We fall short. We're lacking. And since we're unable to meet these sacred standards... How could we ever meet with God? The law literally cried out for our judgment, but God 
boom, put a lid on the law. For over the top of the ark set a solid gold lid called the mercy seat. This was the place where the priest sprinkled the sacrificial blood that was shed for sin. Here the demands of the law were satisfied and God extended mercy. If you had lived in Old Testament times and if you had wanted to meet God and receive His mercy, the destination was clear. You would head right to the mercy seat. And Paul tells us that Jesus is now our propitiation or our place of mercy. He alone has kept all of God's commands. He alone has earned a right standing with God that now He can pass on to others. So where can I find God today? Where can I meet my maker and discover his kindness and his favor and his mercy? Well, the directions are still crystal clear. Today, the cross of Jesus is now God's place of mercy. Jesus has become our propitiation. Well, there's one final diamond on display in tonight's text. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul explains how your salvation has become God's vindication. Understand, justification and redemption and propitiation, these first three diamonds that we've discussed, they produce in us a comfort and a hope and an assurance. They create in me a sigh of relief. Wow. But this last diamond, it takes my breath away. If these first three diamonds reflect God's grace, this fourth diamond, it reveals His glory. Paul tells us that on the cross, Jesus vindicated the character of God. That in a single stroke of genius, God became both just and the justifier. Understand, when we look at the cross of Christ, we see it from a very narrow, selfish point of view. We tend to focus on what Jesus did for us, justification or redemption and propitiation, we, we tend to focus on it from what it, what it means to me. What do I get out of it? How does it benefit me? But there's another beautiful side to the cross. Songwriter Steve Camp, he has a song entitled, Christ Died for God. Christ Died for God. What a provocative title. Jesus not only died for you, but he also died for his Father. In heaven, his motivation wasn't merely our salvation, but it was God's vindication. You see, our sin put God in a very awkward situation. It pulled him in two directions. On the one hand, his justice demands that we be punished. My, we should get what's coming to us. On the other hand, his love compels him to forgive us and to fix us. God wants to help us. But his justice can't let sin slide. Think about America's judicial system today. Think about the crisis of confidence we have in our courts today. We've let too many blatant criminals just walk, just get off with a slap on the wrist. No wonder we question if our courts are still capable of meeting out justice. God is not going to allow this kind of erosion of confidence to occur in his court. That's why, as much as he loves us, he can't just let us get off scot-free. And this is why Christ died for God. For on the cross, 
Jesus made a way for God to save us and save face at the same time. Through the work of Jesus on Calvary's cross, sin was punished and the sinner was forgiven. Jesus satisfied justice and set us free simultaneously. God became just and the justifier. The story's told of a tribe, a time when nomadic tribes roamed the plains of Siberia, much the way the American Indians had covered the Great Plains. There was one Russian tribe who had a strong, wise ruler. This chief was well respected. But one day it was discovered that the camp had fallen victim to a series of thefts. The chief ordered the perpetrator caught and beaten with ten lashes. But the thefts continued. No one came forward. No one ratted out the thief. So the chief upped the ante to 20 lashes, even 40 lashes. Of course, everyone knew that 40 lashes was a death sentence. Only the, the only tribe member tough enough to endure such a beating would have been the chief himself. What a shock when the thief turned out to be the chief's own mother. I mean, the chief was tempted to just let mom go. But he couldn't. He was a man of his word. Justice had to be served. The day came. The woman was tied to the stump. The executioner readied his whip. And just as the man was about to administer the first blow, the chief walked over to that stump and he draped his huge body over the frail little body of his own mother. And he took her 40 lashes for her. Like the chief, only God is strong enough to execute justice and to be executed for love. Only God can take the full brunt of our sin and then win our forgiveness. God became a man and he draped his body over all those who would trust in him. Jesus is now both a righteous judge and a loving son. And I am proud of him for being both. As they say, diamonds are a girl's best friend. And they may be, but these diamonds of salvation are every Christian's best friend. Justification, redemption, propitiation, vindication. Have you received God's free gift? And if you've received these diamonds... Are you proud of them? Do you wear them close to your heart and everywhere you go? Do you think about them and talk about them? Are you always eager to show them to your friends? Do you count them as your greatest treasure? You should. Today, you have a friend in the diamond business. And his name is Jesus. Father, thank you for your amazing grace toward us. That in Christ Jesus, we are justified. That we've been redeemed, free to start over. That there is for us a propitiation, a place for mercy. A place where, where you found closure with our sin. 
where you love us, where your grace is free and real and strong. And we thank you that Christ even died for God. You've been vindicated in the process. We love you, Lord. We're so proud of you. We're so thankful for the things you've done for us. The diamonds that now hang around our soul. Help us, Lord, to share them with others. To be grateful always. And to forever sing your praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Sandy Adams. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Sandy's teaching ministry by visiting sandyadams.org.